This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. What's good, what's good, what's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? This your boy Dalen Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. We like to give a big shout out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly Horror Stories, where your stories is from a hillbilly and it's kind of horror Because it's Hillbilly Horror Stories. That was terrible, Dalen. Yeah. I, I tried. Tune into the podcast. We up in here. Ghost Brothers. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 246 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hi, guys. Hope everyone had a great Easter Sunday. I didn't get a chance to say I'm Jerry. Oh, shoot. Well, that's Jerry. So. <laughs> <laughs> she just jumped right in there. I did. And who are you? I'm Tracy. Okay. So Dang. now everybody's straight for our first time listeners. Okay. Sorry, y'all. All right, so obviously we got a lot to get into, but first of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys, gals, dogs, and anybody else associated for all that you do. We appreciate you guys so much, and praying for you guys every single daggone day, and just keep being our angels on earth, and we love y'all. Absolutely. We also want to point out that if you are struggling right now mentally with any aspect of your life... Uh, maybe it's relationship-wise, maybe it's financially, maybe it's your work. Um, you know, we just want you to know that we've got somebody out there willing to listen. Tracy and, and myself are both willing to listen. You can call us at any point in time. You can send us a message on uh, on Facebook or Twitter or any of our social media. Send an email. Uh, or you can just post in the group, and there's about 5,000 people, and they're just waiting to be able to help you any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you guys are not alone for one second. So please reach out to us if you want to. We'd be happy to, to help with you guys and do what we can. And But if you would rather you know, talk to somebody different, you can call the hotline at 800-273-8255, or you can text them at 741-741. All right, with that being said, we had a, uh, a unique week as far as some obstacles thrown our way. And we did not get as much research done. Let me rephrase that. I didn't get the writing done that I needed to. Research got done on the topic we wanted to do this week. But it takes me about five to six hours to sit and write it out. And uh, my intentions was to do that on Friday. Unfortunately, we had a death in the family. So we spent most of Friday up in Louisville. Uh, My father-in-law, ex-father-in-law, I should say, passed away. And uh, so we spent time up there. He had a dog that the family wasn't sure what to do with so we took it home and we spent some time taking it to the vet and finding a new home and spent some of saturday doing that and obviously easter hit so it just um it it didn't allow for me the time to write a show for this week so what we got is we 
kind of dug back into our archives of our Patreon, and we found a show that we did back in last June that was on just three different stories of the unexplained. It kind of didn't fit anywhere else, so we kind of lumped them together in one story. So we're going to play that one for you. There's only probably the most 200 of you maybe have heard this episode. So for most of you, it's going to be brand new, but for our Patreon listeners, you will you will probably recognize this story from uh, June of last year. Now, also, I did an interview with uh, Nick McGurr, who, he's an author, he's a podcaster, and he has, own, has his own tour company down in Charleston called Stories in the Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And he tells us some really cool stories of uh, down in, in his neck of the woods in Charleston. And Tracy and I are going to stop and do his tour uh, along with Mike Brown's tour when we go there in September on our way to St. Augustine. But he's got some pretty cool stories. So even if you've heard this on Patreon, uh, you won't, you will not have heard Nick's story. So that's what we got. So we're going to go ahead and play our episode from June of 19. What was that? What, 1900? It was <laughs> June. <laughs> Seems like it. It was June of 2020 of last year. So it's it's been close to a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. I went back and dug through a bunch of them. And I thought this was probably the one that was the most fitting to throw up here. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And if uh, you are not a Patreon subscriber, this is kind of an example of what we do on Patreon that's not on the regular feed. So it's, it does work a little bit in both ways. It gives people, it's not a Patreon subscriber, a taste of what we do on there. So let's have a listen and then we'll talk about uh, Patreon subscribers and, and iTunes reviews while the dog and cat run behind me like a herd of elephants. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we'll play uh, Nick McGurr's interview. Hey guys, welcome to the June 2020 bonus episode. Well, I'll be dang. It's June already. <laughs> it's almost, we're halfway through June. It's close to being July. Isn't that crazy? It is. It's, it's crazy as all get out. Oh, yeah. I thought today's bonus episode, we would do things that, for the lack of a better term, would be listed as unexplainable events. So it doesn't fit with everything. You know, it's not necessarily a, a typical haunting or mm-hmm. poltergeist. It's just things that really weird type of situations. And and I found a couple, and I thought it would be fun to do a couple of those stories today. Sounds great. All right. Cause like I said, sometimes we come across these things that, like, they just don't fit with the regular stories. And a lot of them aren't big enough to do a full show on. So you almost have to group them together. Or when we do find them, we'll group together, like, when we do the past live story. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll do four or five stories that are all past lives. But... Like this first story that we're going to do tonight, there really is anything else you can group it with. It just kind of stands alone, like one-hit wonders. Okay. Like songs that are, you know, one-hit wonders. Are we ready? Ready. First story tonight is cool as hell. In 1918, in Lincolnshire, England, there was a group called the Transport Yard. And this was like a a military branch, Mm -hmm. more or less. This is where the planes came and went. So they get the news that they were going to be disbanded. Now, this was a very close-knit close, close knit group of about 100 people. So they decided that they were going to have a group photo done, much like a class photo or something with all of them in their, in their uniforms, sitting yeah. side by side, you That's know, nice. All, all nice together. So they had this professionally done. They obviously were looking for something since they were so close that they could just hold on to forever and be able to look back on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like your yearbook. Yeah. So the day that the picture was going to be taken... There was somebody missing. This gentleman went by Freddie Jackson. 
So there's a few variations of why Freddie wasn't there that day. Uh, both have the same end result, unfortunately. Freddie passed away a couple of days before the picture was to be Aww. taken. Oh, that sucks. So one version says that he died while he was on leave. Uh, there, they, there was a young lady there at the time, and her job was solely to take people like into town when they were on their leave and then pick them up a couple of days yeah. later. So I mm-hmm. guess nobody was really, I mean, 1918, not everybody had cars back then. Right. But the, her job was to get them to the city or get them to where they were going that was close so they could have a little, you know, rest and relaxation, then get, get them back a couple of days later. And the story is while this gentleman was on, on that couple of day leave, he passed away. Don't know exactly what happened. There was another story, though, that says that he actually walked into one of the propellers <gasps> of the plane on a, of one of the planes on the transplant, transport yard. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Yeah, I would hate to think what that would look oh. like. So, regardless of how it happened, Freddie had died a day or two before this picture was taken. So, now we're going to fast forward to when the actual photo arrived to be distributed to the people who had, who had them. So there was Freddy on the back roll of this picture. The Freddy who was not there who passed away two days ago. Now, Freddy didn't look like everybody else because everyone else was wearing their hat, their military hat. Freddy didn't have on a hat. It was as if he was peeking out from behind one of the other officers in the back. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this was not a double exposure and there was no Photoshop back in 1918. I was going to say, he may start at the photobomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even know it. This picture was actually put through scientific examination, but was found that there was no irregularities whatsoever. Now, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i try to find this picture again and post it on here so people can see it. But it really is cool. So what you see is when you zoom in, on the back, you've got a gentleman sitting there. And two-thirds... I would say a Freddie's face is there. It's almost like maybe his uh, his right cheek is blocked a little bit from the guy in front of him, but you can see his face, and it, it's a little bit transparent. That's what I was going to ask you if it yeah. was. It's a little bit transparent, but it's pretty clear. It's it's not a situation where you could say, "Oh, that could be anything." Like looking at a cloud, right. you know, you might see it looks like a goose. I might say it looks like something else, but it's still up for interpretation. That's not the case with this picture. This picture is definitely of a person, and everybody who saw it said there's no ifs, ands, or buts. That's Freddie Jackson. Wow. Now, see how cool he was to show up for the picture, though? Yeah, it was like... He is like a team player. I'm not missing this no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) But no, when you see the picture and you see it up close, it's it's really cool. Oh, that's sweet. But I'm sorry that happened to you, Freddie. Yeah, that's a it's a horrible stay story. Away, stay away. As far as that what part the hell? Of it. Why is he doing that? Well, how did he get it that close? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was. Maybe the plane was moving forward and he didn't see it. I mean, just because it said he walked into it, didn't mean that maybe he was like you know not paying attention well, or something. It could be anything. Let me give you a little advice. Try walking into a bar, <laughs> not a propeller. You'll have a better outcome. Yeah, that reminds me of the old joke: uh, two men walk into a bar and a third one ducked. <laughs> <laughs> you know now you mean walking to a propeller oh <laughs> it's, i know it's not funny but it's so funny every time i see pictures or videos of people that actually walk into a bar i mean like a pole or something yeah. oh my gosh it's so funny it's like that uh the episode and they've been showing it on the advertisements now of king and queens when when doug was running and he runs right into that that uh phone booth thing yeah. and <laughs> 
I she, laugh every time I, I see it. I know it. She just kept on trucking, too. So, all right. This next story is about a ghost ship off the coast of Western Australia. And before you say anything, yes, I know we've done ghost ships before. This ghost ship's different, though. Okay. It's completely different. So this is a real ship, first of all. So when you think ghost ship, you think, you know, oh, well, people can see it or it shows up like the, you know, the Dutchman yeah. and uh, Flying Dutchman. It's not like that. It's a real ship. It's called the Alchemist. And this is a huge rusted out ship that was, uh, it's kind of got its own ghost named Henry, which is why we're calling it a ghost ship. Hmm. In the last 57 years, approximately 30 people who've had some kind of direct tie to this ship, such as scuba divers uh, that were or, or photographers or something like that, had something to do with the ship, or caretakers, have all had some type of an incident or untimely death. 30. Golly. <laughs> For the last 400 years, the stretch of um, coastline right there in Australia has been very disastrous for ships. It's very dangerous. Much like the uh, Cape of Good Hope down there. Oh. Where around Africa right there. It's just really rocky and a lot of, lot of problems. Lot, yeah. So everything from, from old galleon ships back in the day to today's oil tankers all have ran into problems there. So the Alchemist became a casualty back in March 20th, 1963, when it was traveling from Indonesia and it ran ashore. Now, when I say it ran ashore, don't think of... Don't think of the fact of like, okay, where well, here's the shoreline and the ship is right there on it. Like it, you know, ran up onto the, the sand and stuff. It's it's still out of ways, like probably at least a couple of football fields away. But it's just that the the water is so shallow there, that's where it stops. So it didn't make it all the way to the land where it's dry. But don't these boats know this? Well, I mean, sometimes, sometimes probably not. I mean, they they might think they know, but I guess it just depends on the conditions. I mean, could have got blown there from weather conditions well, or high tides. Yeah, so I don't know. Right. But I mean, when people think it washed ashore, they're thinking that it's like up you on know, the yeah, it's up on the the dirt and yeah. stuff, and that's not the case. It's still out a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's like it's like if you see these ships kind of dock a little bit out, and then you'll have to get into a boat and roll the rest of the way ashore. Mm -hmm, that's what it's like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Since it got stranded there, it's been one incident after another. Several attempts to salvage the ship have been unsuccessful. So for whatever reason, people can't even get it out of there. And they could they can't, you know, they've tried to do things like cut it apart and stuff like that. And as soon as they start to try to dismantle it from where it's at, incidents happen where they can't finish it. So what, they, so what does that mean? It the just, boats are just hanging just, there? It just stays there. Forever? It's just, well, kind of. It's been there ever since. And like right now, if you was to go there, there's like little bits and pieces of it still standing there where it's slowly eroded away. But, you know, 15 years ago, the whole ship was still there. Oh, my Just gosh. Rusted. That's crazy. So a young American, this is back when it first happened, back in the, in the 60s. A young American that was over there studying, his name was Wayne Morgan. He decided that, you know, they needed a caretaker to stay on the boat. Because at this time, I guess they thought they were maybe going to be able to you know, mm -hmm. get it out of there and all this stuff, the company that owned it. He was keeping a diary. In the beginning of the diary, he expressed how happy he was to get this job because it was it was a really quiet job, which he could do his job while he still studied for school. And he also was an avid fisherman, so he could fish anytime he wanted to. It was the perfect job. That's not what he got, though. <laughs> that, that's what he thought he was going to get. That's not what he got. 
he started having things at, at nighttime happen. And he said he started feeling like the presence of someone there. He got scared to even wander around the ship. In the diary he wrote on the 14th of July, 1963, 10.15 p.m., been down to the engine room, but never again. It's the eeriest place on the ship. From the time I left my cabin, I could hear footsteps following me. I was scared out of my wits. <laughs> on another occasion, there was no movement on the boat at all. So there was it wasn't the sound of the ocean. It wasn't creaking or whatever. There was no movement at all. It's, pretty, it's a decent sized ship. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, a huge iron door that was between the bridge and the captain's quarter slammed shut with a hell of a force as if the door was intentionally slammed. I think I didn't been off that ship. He got so scared that he dropped his flashlight and he ran in the other direction. He had no idea where he was running to, but he said he ended up in the engine room and then back to his cabin. And he said he vowed then at that point that he would never go out after night again outside of his cabin. No way. No way. I'm with you, bro. The noises increased over the time and the caretaker became even more scared. He eventually left and checked himself into a psychiatric hospital. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It got to him that bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why didn't he just move away? He did. Into a psychiatric hospital. No, I mean, before that. (laughs) I don't know. I guess he figured he could handle it. Bless his heart. His dream job is horrible. It's a nightmare job. Yeah. So there's a gentleman over there by the name of Jack Sue. He's a professional scuba diver. And he was fascinated with the ship. And he was especially even more fascinated after he found out about the diary and studied the diary and read everything on it. He decided to go onto the ship to kind of get some more information. So he basically knew that the guy had checked himself into a mental hospital already. Yeah, this is literally years later. This oh, is like in the, okay. this is like in the early nineties now. So we're oh, like okay. we're yeah. like twenty seven years, twenty eight uh-huh. years after that. He teamed up with a sound engineer by the name of Graham Greenwood. So one night they decided they were going to go out there, get on the ship, and they were going to try to record and see mm-hmm. these footsteps and stuff. Well, he said that. Once they eliminated the stuff like the wind and the sea and all that stuff from the sounds, what was left sounded like screams. And I've actually heard some of the audio from it, and it's the craziest. It almost sounds like if you've ever heard like a bobcat or a wildcat or something mm-hmm. scream, it sounds almost like a woman screaming, but it's really creepy. Oh. That's what it sounds like. Gone. So the guy actually left his diary then on the boat. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he left it on the boat or how. But it, I mean, or maybe it was, they just. But, it, but somebody had it. Yeah. From from years before. Oh wow. I wonder what happened to him. I don't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't really look for any further. To be honest with you. You ain't curious. I was curious, but I would. I just. It didn't really. I was so caught up in the other parts of the story. I didn't even think about following up on oh, him. Oh okay. So Graham Greenwood said that he couldn't wait to get off the boat the next morning. He and Jack Sue say that the thing that they heard that night in the early 1990s are still scary to them to this day. Jack said that he heard moans that sounded like someone was rolling over in their sleep. He said that actually happened when he was laying down trying to sleep. 
Okay, they had the recorders and stuff set up. He's laying down. He's trying to get some sleep. And he said he could hear something behind him. And he said, you know how like somebody will be sleeping and they'll be moaning in their sleep. But yeah. it's like, you know, he said, that's what it sounded like. And then he rolled over and just to verify, and there was absolutely nobody in the room with him. But he knows it sounded like a person moaning. So let's go back. For a time, the ship started back after the first caretaker left. The ship started using Filipinos as their caretakers, but they didn't last long either. The same footsteps, doors opening and closing, tools and equipment disappearing, and that was the end for almost every caretaker. Every one of them had the same experiences. Mm -hmm. After that, a married couple took on the job. Now, the woman in this couple was pregnant. One night, the woman took a nasty fall. I don't know if it was down some steps or it just said, all I saw is she took a nasty fall. She laid in the floor for hours knowing that this baby was due any minute. The rescue team was all gathered out, out on the shore and stuff. They were getting everything together. But like I said, this boat's out a little bit. It's not as, you can't just run an ambulance out there. You got to right. get out there. You got to rescue her. You yeah. got to get her out. So it took several hours to actually get her out of there. But, you know, and they did it by sounding like something out of a James Bond movie or something. They had to take like a, a rocket thing and shoot a rope from the shore out to the ship, tie it off. They put her in like a, a special kind of chair and then brought her, hooked her onto the rope and like, you know, what's that called? The zip, zip line. line like deal. And that's how they got her to shore. They take her to the hospital. And unfortunately, the baby was stillborn. Aww. Bless her heart. Many more caretakers came to the ship. Sometimes it was noises. Sometimes it was other things. But they all ended up leaving. One of the caretakers said that the biggest problem they had, besides the noises and stuff, is they would smell cooking smells coming from the gallery. The gallery where there was no food or gas, or yeah, anything right, to run yeah. the stove, and the stove was always ice cold, yet they could still smell food cooking from in there. Maybe they just hungry. Maybe. For the 50-plus years, speculations on what or who the ghost is has been all around. Obviously, the ghost is called Henry, but that was just a name given. Nobody mm -hmm. really, you know, it's not associated to somebody named Henry that died or any mm -hmm. of that stuff. There was a medium that had checked uh, at the location, and she felt that a murder had happened on board the ship, but didn't give any kind of details as to what she was seeing or feeling. Right. She just felt like there was a murder. A priest was actually brought in to exercise the ship. Unfortunately for him, he decided to do some fishing from the alchemist's deck before <laughs> doing the exorcism. He cast this line, and uh, as you can imagine, it's got a big, huge sinker on it. And after he cast it, Something threw it back from the water, cracked him in the forehead, and he had to be taken off the boat and go have stitches. He never went back. Seriously. To the boat. Seriously. He missed out on some good fishing just because <laughs> he didn't exercise first or exorcist or whatever you call it. Yeah, you should have done an exorcism first. That's what he was there for. Always work before play. No That's the, doubt. He could have caught a big old whale. My guess is. He probably didn't take it serious. He's like, oh, okay, I'll go out there and do the exorcism, whatever. 
Because, I mean, if he took it serious, you would think that that would have been his... He wouldn't have been relaxed enough to just be dilly-dallying around the boat. My guess. The ship has become famous for its ghostly activity, obviously. In 1990, there was a skeptical radio show host by the name of Ted Bull. He decided he wanted to do something fun for a Halloween show, and they'd already done the haunted houses and all that stuff. And he wanted to do something different. He thought, you know what? We'll go out to the Alchemist. You know, since everybody knows that story mm-hmm. and uh, we'll record out there. So they get out there. They're along. They're like kind of set up alongside the ship, not on the ship. And they're testing the equipment. No problems whatsoever. Everything's great. So they start to show off with the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> I don't know if maybe the ghost didn't like it. Or maybe they just thought it was poking fun of them or whatever the situation was. But every time they would mention Henry the Ghost, the feed would get really weak and staticky and cut in and out. Just like if you're in a bad cell area for a phone. Yeah. The people running the equipment on the shore couldn't explain it. And they said that there was absolutely no reason at all why that should be happening. They'd already tested all the stuff earlier. They said there weren't in that area where, you know, not even the metal from the ship should have affected anything they were doing. And it only happened when... They did the stories about Henry. And whenever they mentioned Henry is when it would happen every time. Oh, wow. He wasn't trying to join that party at all. No, he was not. All right, next story. This is, like I said, some of these are really short, too. This is a strange incident involving police in Wiltshire, England. So the town of Wiltshire is a lot like uh, a Nevada desert in the way that it's set up. But it's also a lot like the Nevada desert. As far as UFO sightings, there's a bunch of military installations all around, a bunch of UFO, UFO sightings. So it's kind of thought to be like Britain's Area 51. Oh, nice. All these little military installations and stuff around there, a lot of people seem to think that they are there for UFO research and what have you, but it's all hush-hush, just mm-hmm. like Area 51 is. Also in this area is Solberry Hill. It's the largest prehistoric man-made mound in Europe. This thing, if you look at it, I mean, it literally looks like a mini mountain. And it's, you know, it's all covered with grass and all that stuff. It's pretty, but it's just like a a, a big hill stuck in the middle of a bunch (laughs) of flat land. So obviously it was man-made from back in the day. They don't know why. Uh, It was thought to have been built either between 2470 and 2350 BC. Oh my goodness. So pretty cool. I wonder how long it took them to do that. I don't know. What we do know is what happened in July of 2007. A police officer was driving by Solberry Hill. He saw these three tall, blonde-haired figures. They were dressed in robes near the hill. So at first he thought this was like a forensic officers or something like that because they were investigating the crops that were there. Mm-hmm. He decides to kind of pull over, go over and investigate, see what was going on. He said as he approached the field, he hears a strange staticky sound almost as if a current was running through the crops in the field, like an electrical current. Ooh, that would have been crazy. He starts to feel uneasy. He said the hairs on his arms and his neck stood up. He yelled out to the three men. They ignored him. (laughs) As friends would do. (laughs) (laughs) And then the figures in the field, he said, just started running. And they were running at a speed that he said was impossible for any human to run. I didn't know aliens were fast. Well, apparently these are. 
So then they just suddenly vanished. Obviously, they're running fast and they just disappear. But the sound was still there. It was kind of reverberating throughout the field. That He said that's when he got really scared. So he runs back to his car. He gets in and he has an immediate pounding headache. He decides to come back at a later date. He's got a researcher named Colin Andrew with him. He noticed that from the angle that the officer had been passing by, it would have been almost impossible for him to see anybody in the field. So how did he see these three men? The officer said that he just knew something was was there. So he felt like some kind of a psychic energy or something that something was was going on. So he that's what made him get out of his car. But he says he saw these people. But the reason he even looked to begin with was he something just felt funny to him. Right. So it didn't stop there, though. In the days after the event, the officer began having poltergeist activity in his home. Andrew said that it's very common for people who have had an experience, especially a, an alien encounter, to have these things happen. It may be common, but it's not normal, as if he connected somehow with the uh, beings and, and he, that he came in contact with. That Ooh, day. So they kind of followed him home maybe a little bit. Something. That's so scary. Do you see what I'm saying about these stories, though? They're kind of standalone, like they're uh-huh. just... Yeah. They're not really the, you know, the same kind of stories that typically, and most of them are fairly short, but... So the other guys just didn't believe him or just didn't... Well, I mean, there was only one guy that I guess this researcher is the one that said it's not uncommon to yeah. have these things, so he obviously believed it. He just said that it was, it would have been hard for him to just notice going by, and, and mm-hmm. you know, so the police officer says, well, he just had a feeling to look where he looked, so I don't know. That's crazy talk. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last story is one of these mysterious light stories. Now, we've done some of these, like the the, the, the Marfa lights in Texas or the uh, infinite number of spook light stories that we have around the world. But these are the um, Hestelin lights. Make sure I get my, my Norwegian out. These, these, these are in the Hestelin Valley in Norway. For decades... It's been one of the world's largest light displays. So there's a series of large floating lights. In some cases, they're as big as a car. They float in place, sometimes for hours. So this isn't something that just, oh, did you see that? It's like, they'll just stay there. So anybody just come and look, and people do. They come from all over the world to come see these things. So just for long periods of time, or like mm-hmm. every day, or? Well, they said that, that, they were seen as often as 20 times a week in the 1980s. Oh, I don't know how often they're seen now, but it's still going on from my understanding. But because there been, it's happened so often, it was made even easier to be studied where some of these things really wouldn't. Now people have been coming out there, scientists, to be able to study this. So scientists have said that they put, they put off some kind of an electric charge as much as 19 kilowatts of power. So if you go up and try to touch one of these lights, you're going to get zapped. <laughs> like touching an electric eel or something Ooh, like that. That'd be a good mosquito killer. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have mosquitoes right there. <laughs> I guess they don't. <laughs> so there's a, a wide range of theories as to what's going on here. One of them is that the effect is something they call a coulomb crystal. A coulomb crystal can form in plasma, which is basically a form of electrically charged gas. So they're not physical in the sense that you could actually pick one of them up. Think of it more like a cloud. Oh. So it's there. You can put your hand in it and you'll get shocked. Right. But it's not like something you can just grab and put in a pocket. Like not and a take sol- yeah, like not a solid right. object. 
If enough charged particles were trapped inside of, of, of such a crystal, their combined glow could shine pretty brightly. So that's what they think may be happening. So why Norway? Some scientists seem to think that there's some source uh, there in the atmosphere, I guess. It's a, it's a type of uh, atmospheric dust. Mm-hmm. And they think that when this comes in contact with radon gas, it's what causes the cloud. No. That's interesting. Radon's radioactive, and as it decays, it emits radiation. So that would kind of make sense. So it could be radioactive. That could explain a lot of your gas. I don't think that would. Why? That could explain the burning, though. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, when, when that radiation would be emitted, that could electrically charge the dust in a way that makes column crystals more likely. So there's your first theory. Other researchers think that it may be a special case of ball lightning, which is unexplainable phenomena on, on its own. And ball lightning, have you ever really discussed ball lightning? Um, <laughs> I said that trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> Not that I can recall. Well, ball lightning. I've talked about sweaty balls a lot. Yeah, that's completely different. Yeah. You wouldn't want to get that electricity. It would be a whole different version of ball lightning. <laughs> um, ball lightning, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details here, but it literally looks like a ball. looks like a ball of light, and it's supposed to be a really rare thing that only like 5% of the population has ever actually seen. And I know it'll, in some cases, it's been known to come through windows and land like on a floor and roll around and then just disappear. Um, it's just, it's really... It's just a really strange phenomenon that nobody can really figure out exactly what it is. So it's going it to break your window. No, it doesn't break. It just goes through. Oh, well, that's cool then. Yeah, it just comes through. I was going to say, how are you going to break a window and then just disappear? That's so rude. Anyway, let's see. Where did that leave off at? So think of this as a type of lightning, but instead of a storm causing it, it's caused by the uni- unique uh, geology and the rocks and stuff that are that are found there, mainly because they have all kinds of quartz there in the area. And I mm-hmm. think that may be the key here. Quartz generates an electric field by itself. And when strained under physical forces like a compression, it can let off electricity. Wow. So That'd all be that cool ex- to see. Huh? I said that would be cool to yeah. see. So all that excess electricity could actually change what's going on and result in the light up. Hmm. So anyways, that's our story for you this this uh, bonus episode. I wonder if it makes people's electric bill go up. I don't think it would because it's not running through the electric lines. True. So. Okay. I wonder if they could tap into it to lower the electric bill. That would be amazing. So, I want to get off the grid. I know. I don't know if I can handle that or not. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't handle it because you can't stay off your phone long enough. Sure I can. Tracy. Tracy. What? You're, you're on your phone nonstop. And I mean more than any human I've ever met in my life. Well, you have not met the Kardashians because they are always on their phone. No, no. If we're in a car on a five-hour trip, you're on your phone four and a half hours of it. If you're in the bathroom, you're on your phone. If you're sitting at watching TV, you're on your phone. We were in the grocery store the other day and you were pushing your cart and playing a game at the same time. That's Jerry Polly. Tracy, Polly, don't say you wouldn't. I weren't. I was collecting coins. I wasn't playing. What Was you not on your phone while you were pushing the cart? 
Just because the, the technicality was different. You doesn't... were on your phone nonstop, too. I'm not on my phone now. I bet you're on well, your I phone right I... now. My phone's laying over here, fool. <laughs> I ain't on my phone. <laughs> I did, however. I've been looking at my my hand. Do you see that? What? The it's little indention? Right here. It's a shape of a cross. And I have no clue why that's there. Oh, that is odd. You had to have laid it on something. What? I don't know. Isn't that weird? That'd be like the easiest way of stick mod I've ever seen. Usually it's painful because you actually have holes and stuff, but you just have an indention. It's not an indention. It looks like a scratch. Oh, maybe Freddie did it. I know Freddie don't know how to do a cross. You don't know that. It could have been accidental. It's just freaking me out, though. All right, sorry. (laughs) I keep looking at it because I'm like, where the heck does it come from? (laughs) Well, if you ever get attacked by a vampire, you just hold your hand up. True story. I don't mind having a cross on me. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of your uh, support. We greatly appreciate it. We do. We love y'all bunches. Have a great day. So I thought those stories were interesting, especially I like the story with the the fighter pilot that was, you know, apparently killed off site, but still ended up in the picture. I know. That's crazy. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And I've seen, you know, I've seen that before in video, but it was, they kind of breeze through it uh-huh. so it just really wasn't a whole lot there but i've been seeing as we watch uh beyond belief factor fiction mm-hmm. some of these little coincidence things have showed up on there that i didn't remember but the one about the uh, church choir that the, the lady who ran the choir made it clear that everybody needed to be on time and everybody oh, yeah. was always on time. And then all of a sudden, the one time where every single member was mm-hmm. was late for whatever reason, the church had the explosion. We yeah. talked about that on here. And if they'd have been there, they would have either been hurt or killed. Yeah. But for some reason, every one of them were late that's on the exact the same day thing. when they were never yeah. late. Yes. Yeah. It's, that, that's... Those things are just unexplainable, and I don't mm-hmm. care what anybody says. Yeah. It's they like had whole, angels looking after yeah, them, that's It's like for the sure. whole Cokeville miracle thing. How mm-hmm. can that bomb go off and not, yeah. you know, kill anybody in that little small room? So. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, let's listen to Nick McGurr. And I urge everybody to uh, check out his podcast. His podcast is different. Let me say this. his It's, it's really scientific-based. So he'll tell you about what's going on in the case that he's looking at, but he literally, like, he'll he'll have a psychic that he follows around, and he tries to document everything, and he doesn't give you all the details, because he wants to see what you come up with, and that's the same thing he does on his ghost tour. Mm-hmm. So you'll, you'll hear that, but he lets you come up with the answers, so he doesn't, you know, plant any seeds, so to speak, so you can see... You know, oh, he don't tell you, hey, the name starts with a J, so you right. come up with James and John. He'll just tell you, this person was a husband or this person was a wife, and he'll let you come up with the information. So it's very cool. It's a, it's a unique way of doing stuff. But his podcast is done the same way he does his tour. So give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, so after you listen to this interview with Nick, uh, stick with us, and we'll have a little bit of information, uh, updates on the cruise and uh, we'll have our Patreon supporters for this week in our iTunes reviews. Hey guys, I'm excited to have Nick McGurr on on the podcast here. Obviously, you get to see a little video. I like doing these videos. And uh, when it comes to doing things like this one, I get excited because we're going to talk about ghost tours. And 
you know, Tracy and I are going to be going to St. Augustine in October, September, I guess, really. And we're going to stop on the way to Charleston. And, you know, I was talking to Nick. He, he had written us a message uh, a little while back and said he was interested in coming on the show. And I was excited about that because he runs a, a ghost tourist company in Charleston. So who better to have on the show to tell us about some of the haunted locations down there than somebody who runs a tour. So thanks for coming on, Nick. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to get into this. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. So, um, I mean, my name is Nick, as Jerry said, and I own a company called Stories in the Cemetery. And and that's pretty much my whole brand. And, and the gist of what my tours are is it's not just storytelling on a street corner, you know, as some of, you know, some of the most of the tours are in all of your haunted cities like St. Augustine and New Orleans. Uh, I, I give out tools, you know, and we really get into you know, some of the deeper histories of some odd locations. It's, it's not all of your sightseeing locations around Charleston, which is what makes this such a unique, you know, thing to do, which is why I reached out to you, because uh, I knew you were going to be heading to St. Augustine, and uh, my wife and I are actually uh, planning to see if we can make it down to the, the Lighthouse uh, investigation that you guys are going to be hosting down there. So I'm pretty excited for that, because I've never been there. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that's basically the gist of what Stories in the Cemetery is about. It's about getting, you know, tools in front of people and showing them that, you know, the television shows make this a, a much scarier thing than it actually has to be. So I just uh, found out today that we're down to 11 tickets left for the Lighthouse Investigation. Oh, I better case. jump on that then. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I like about it. Like I said, you give out equipment uh, for people to use as you're going out, do you typically have enough equipment for everybody or is it kind of scattered and, hey, you two or three get around and share this device? How does it typically work? I know that, that equipment can be expensive. Yeah, it's, it is expensive. Um, but what, what I'll tell you that's different is because, you know, I own the tour. I'm the only guide. Um, Charleston allows us to go up to 20 people on, a, on a, any kind of tour. So what I've done for my groups to make it a much more personal tour and A, so that there's not such a limit on devices is that it's a max of 10 people. So I'm literally interacting with every single person based on what tool or device that they have. Uh, the other thing is, is most people that, you know, obviously your listeners know, these devices record stuff. So what's cool is the next morning, I go through all of the data, compile it, and I put it up on my website and send the link over to the people from that specific tour. So it's kind of like they have to keep going through the data. Now the TV shows, they always show the next morning where they you know, go through the data and they find extra things. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. There are other tours that kind of give tools and devices and little K2 meters, EMFs, uh, but none of that stuff records, nor are they giving all of the data back with a, with a quick analysis of what they find. Uh, my guess, if I have a full group, they'll record anywhere between seven to nine hours worth of data. So they're gonna get all of that back, which is really what makes this a unique thing. How do you feel about the equipment that are like the apps, the ghost apps on the phone and all that? I mean, do you feel like any of those things are anything more than just a gimmick? Or do you feel like that some, because I, I know we've got uh, a spirit box app on the phone. I don't know how accurate it is. It sounds pretty close to what a, a typical spirit box would be. Uh, but so, what's your thoughts? I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on this one. So I actually use some apps on the tours. And one of those apps um, actually gives us a word in the center of the screen and then compiles it into a list. And exactly what I tell my guests every single night is that 80% of what comes up on this list or more is gonna be 
BS. It's not going to mean anything. The app is meant to be a game and a hoax and meant to throw those, you know, don't hurt me and pain and, and terror kind of <laughs> stuff in there. Um, but when I get specific terms that, for example, last night uh, on, on my ghost hunt, I was talking about a specific duel and one of the duelers last name showed up while I was telling the story. That's pretty specific. Yes. Specific time. You know what I mean? So it's one of those is it's, I can definitely give you the link to show you where the story is and why it's true. Um, and that's the things that I do is I give you the backlinks to show you this is why that word is relevant. So last night I didn't have many terms that came out of that particular spirit box. Um, but there's other nights where I have 15 to 25 terms that I have to give backlinks to because they're specific. Um, and it's ages or years or uh, a specific battle that shows up. I, I've had things come up that I didn't even know about until I had to research it the next morning. Um, so the apps, there, there's a little bit of truth there. And my, my mentality behind that is because I do give you know, all electronic devices out. There's no dowsing rods, no Ouija boards or anything like that. I mean, we're on a walking tour. Um, right. So I want data. I don't want somebody dowsing rods and, and all of a sudden the, the rods start moving and they're like, look, they're all moving around. Um, you know, it's that's not what I'm after. I want the data. I don't claim to be a psychic or medium. So it's the raw data that makes sense to me. So with those, those apps, there's a couple of them that I use um, that, you know, one I just spoke about but I also use a reverse spirit box app. And those are interesting because when something comes through in forward motion, you can hear literal words out of gibberish. And when they make sense to the location or the story that I'm telling, it's, it's exciting. It, it truly is. And as far as the EMF meters that are on you know, cell phone apps, I don't know how they work, but they do. They're just not as sensitive as say a K2 meter. So yeah, there, there's some legitimacy there. And, you know, it's, it's fun to play with. And it's fun to see when those words come through and you know where the background is coming from. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit there. It just depends on your location. How many different tour groups are there in Charleston and how long have you been doing it? I couldn't tell you how many tour groups are in Charleston. Um, to be honest with you, I would say as far as ghost tours, I would venture to say between 25 and 30. Wow. Um, and most of these guys, they've been doing this for 20, 30 years, you know, and they, they change up their, their tours from time to time. Um, there's some obviously pretty large companies that we have here in town. And then there's private guys like me. Um, but I've actually only been doing tours for about two years. Um, so I just wanted to really get into, um, you know, storytelling on a verbal sense, since I am a writer and author. And, and this was, you know, the way to do it where I can actually uh, have my specific, you know, niche where I could take a piece of Charleston and show somebody the flip side and maybe some stories that they haven't heard yet. I get a lot of locals that are like, oh, wow, this is cool. I, didn't, I never knew this story or knew this is where this happened. So it's, it's, that was what you know, I was really after was getting something different out there. We did, you did mention the fact that you're an author and uh, I want to get to that closer to the end of the interview so we can tell people how to get your books and it to be fresh in their mind. How many locations would you say typically you go to on a night of your tour? And does that ever change up? Is it, if I came to your tour, today and then i came back six months from now would it be basically the same tour same places or do you change it up a little bit so recently about six months ago um, i did change it up um just because i learned of some new stories and it was actually a subject i wasn't interested in at all um but pirates here in charleston are kind of a dominant thing yeah and i, I really wanted to add something a just for my 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 guests that come on 
um, you know, because they all want to hear a pirate story because we are on the water. And I kind of changed it up a little bit and added some new locations. And I did add a um, like a quick little legends and more um, like quick 15 minutes. Like here, here's a few stories. So if something pops up out of our spirit boxes during the recordings or the, the thermal imaging camera, you know, great. I was like, but they are legends and lore. Do I have evidence of them? Sure I do. But again, am I expecting anything? Not so much. So I do get like, as of the past six months, I have been getting some repeat customers. Um, you know, but the cool thing is, is I can't fake the data. So even somebody that's taken the tour, I, I had one guest take the tour three times in three months. And literally every tour he did, because I, I went back and looked at his data, it was different every time. Normally there's a theme. So if there's a theme and I'll have one specific spirit that just wants to keep you know talking to us and he'll come to different boxes and all of that ties to one story, um, I usually, you know, we'll point that out to the, in the data analysis that, hey, there was kind of a theme here um, of say, big John Kennedy, who was a football player. So his teammates wanted to come through. I got these Jersey numbers and these names and they match up. We're talking about a football player from 1947. Again, I can't make this stuff up. So are there gonna be different locations in the future? I hope so. Um, and there's tons of them for me to keep going to. Tell me about one of those stops that you make uh, that you know fairly well, obviously. Uh, give me give me an idea about one of those stops and tell me a little bit of the background and what the history is of that place. So I would tell you, and this is one of the reasons why I don't wanna change the tour so much because it is so far out of the way of all of the typical sightseeing and those kind of things. Uh, but it's the Eliza and Charles Pinckney Mansion site. Um, and that's on East Bay Street. So for your listeners, you know, familiar with uh, Charleston, uh, it's a parking lot now. I mean, so there's really nothing to see. There's vehicles in there. Um, but I will tell you, like, that is, if I were to have a grand finale of the tour, and it's fairly at the beginning, um, it, this would be it. Because I think only four times did I not get one thing that came out of this particular uh, location. But the history of it is that Eliza Pinckney was the first botanist experimentalist that brought indigo uh, to its height here in Charleston. Um, obviously, the Pinckney family is pretty, you know, prominent here in Charleston. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, pol politicians and, you know, throughout the family. Uh, but I like to focus on some, like, odd facts about Eliza. So when I give my guests questions, I don't do the suggestive questioning you know, they don't know the odd facts. I give them the history of Indigo and how she got it started, you know, based on her garden that was started at that location. But I give them weird facts like um, Eliza was the second wife from Charles named Eliza back to back. Try to find out what her maiden name was. Ask your spirit boxes um, and see if we can get specific answers. Um, there was a, a specific president that was a pallbearer at her funeral. Um, try to find out who the president was. So again, what I'm trying to do with these folks is, you know, not just prove the paranormal, but give them literal answers. Of course, I don't leave them hanging. So before we leave the site, <laughs> right. um, I kind of give them the answers, but I, I let them go through and tell me, what did you get on your, you know, digital spirit box word list? What did you get on the thermal imaging camera? You know, I let them kind of tell and they're, it's interactive. Like they, they really get involved with it. Oh, I heard the word fire. Did the mansion catch fire? Yes, it did. Um, that was in 1861. Did anybody hear the number 61? You know, it's kind of like giving them those extra clues of like, well, I heard a one, but I'm like, that could refer to the president because it was George Washington who was the pallbearer, you know, and showing them like, this is like, 
legitimate evidence that they didn't know that they were collecting. See, that's really cool. That is a different concept than what's usually out there. Yeah, exactly. So is your tour a walking tour or is it a, uh, like a bus tour? How do you do that? Uh, it's, it's walking. Um, and okay. what's odd is it's anywhere between 90 to 120 minutes, depending on how much activity we get. Um, usually the Pinkney Mansion site will kind of dictate how long we're going to be out in the field. Um, but it, it is literally maybe 0.6 miles. Like that's it because we spend wow. 10 to 15 minutes in specific locations. So it's not like, here's the story. Let's move on. Here's another story. Let's move on. It's like, here's the story. Here's some odd questions you can ask and hopefully get answers. If you have other you know, questions that you're asking, make sure it's something I can prove. Don't ask about Eliza's feelings because I can't prove that she was happy or sad. Right. You, know, you know, ask how old she was when she got married. That's a specific number. See if you get that specific number. Um, but again, it, it's, it's not a far walking tour. So my age groups that I see, like I have a five-year-old coming tomorrow night and he is stoked. His mom has been in contact with me and he can't wait. And again, I don't make this a jump scary tour. It's more scientific. It's more about learning the history and getting involved and part of the story. Eliza told me how old she was when she got married. You know, that's a big difference other than, oh, our tour guide, I don't remember his name, told me, you know, how old you know, Eliza was when she got married. It's a big difference when you hear from the spirit themselves. Like it's very interactive. You know, it's funny because we we can't wait to come down there, obviously. And, you know, we're going to we're going to get a double shot when we're going to come down there and, and visit your tour and uh, have some fun with that. And the next night we're going on another friend, Mike Brown's tour down there. And you guys have uh, know each other and you've been on Mike's show before. How did how did the relationship there between you and Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors come to be? I wouldn't expect there to be a natural relationship between rival companies doing the same thing, but knowing Mike the way I do, it doesn't surprise me. Well, I'll tell you that I wasn't specifically on the show like what I'm, I'm doing here with you. Um, he called me uh, to interview me about an investigation that I did, and it was a location he was covering the history of on his podcast, Pleasing Terrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he, he just offered to, you know, give kudos to my tours and my, my podcast. I said, all right, cool. You know, and we, we just kind of chatted. And of course I picked his brain. Uh, he's been doing this a long time. And I'm like, you know, these locations I'm going to, have you ever heard anybody going to them? Um, but it, going back to why I was on the show, um, my own investigations are on my podcast called Stories in the Cemetery, same name as the tour. Um, and he got wind of the old Provost and Exchange uh, in downtown Charleston. And you know, here, here's what I'll tell you about when I do my investigations is I told you I have all these devices that record, but I'm not walking around asking the docents and the people that work at these locations, tell me ghost stories and tell me what you've heard. And I'll, I'll let you know if I get an EMF, you know, I have a spirit box that will record radio sweeps on mute. So it's in my pocket. The EMF meter is in my other pocket. The thermal imaging camera is on my chest with just the camera hanging out. So nobody knows I'm almost like doing a GoPro. Um, so when I did that investigation um, at the uh, old exchange in Provost Dungeon, you know, I actually had a lot of things came up that he was interested in that were going to be able to tie into his story. So he wanted to interview me more about, you know, how I went about going through the investigation, the terms that came up. Um, my name showed up at that specific uh, location. So and it was it was just Nick. So 
wasn't Nicholas or anything formal. It was Nick, almost like a hello. And it was as soon as I walked in. Um, so it was, it was a, the relationship built just on the fact that he has a private company. I have a private company and we're just here to boost each other up. I had a guest call me yesterday. Um, and I don't, I'm sorry, it was two days ago and they, you know, I don't work on specific days on just on Mondays. And I was like, I'm sorry, but that's, that's my one day off, but you might want to check out Mike Brown on pleasing terrors. He's an excellent storyteller. So hopefully that, that, that guest uh, called him and was able to, I mean, it's the same thing. I've gotten referrals from him as well. And we've seen each other passing by, you know, <laughs> we've never met physically, but it was a quick, you know, fist bump, like, Hey man, because he recognizes the shirt. He's like, I was like, Hey, it's nice to finally see you. Um, Cause we've only chatted on the phone, but yeah, he did feature me on his episode uh, last breath, which was, it was an honor, just like it is to be an honor here. This is really cool. So let's get into the podcast a little bit. Did okay. you start to podcast before or after the tours or was it pretty much simultaneously? Actually, I started the podcast as almost a hobby. Um, I had a regular job and, you know, I was ghost hunting and uh, this whole I guess paranormal investigation piece for me started, um, I had a, an idea to write a book about a psychic's ability and I didn't have any tools or anything. And this is, I lived in Myrtle beach. This was almost a decade ago. And I was going to write this book. And then, you know, that whole stigma of haunted and psychic and that, and some people were just weren't letting us in. So the project got put on hold. Um, and then I was, we moved and I was going through some of my paperwork and I found all these stories all typed out in a manila envelope. I'm like, you know what, I should put this in a blog. And, and that's exactly what I did. I did them individual blogs and it started to pick up a little bit. Um, and then my wife suggested that I actually tell the stories through a podcast. And we came up with the name Stories in the Cemetery. She designed the logo. And then as far as it tying into the tours, I mean, here we are. Um, I don't know how many years later I've been doing a podcast, but it was kind of like, let's just stick with the same name. And I mean, we're basically doing the exact same thing, you know, and the logo actually brings people in. So it's got that ectoplasm green in there and the, <laughs> the cemetery letters. Um, so it works and, and it's just been kind of the brand. So when I decided to leave a day job and do this full time, it was kind of like, I haven't you know exactly been consistent because I've been so busy with tours, especially during the winter. I do two tours a night at seven and nine. So when I have to go through the data the next morning, that's a lot of time I got to take to be able to piece all that together. So um, unfortunately, I have four files sitting in my computer of investigations for new episodes. I just haven't had time to go through the data and to make sure like it matches up with its actual history. I'm excited to do Fort Sumter that all those files are sitting right in my, my computer. I just haven't had time to go through them. So the podcast, do you delve into places outside of Charleston or, or do you kind of Correct. stick with what you do to tours? So it was um, definitely outside of Charleston where it started, which was in the Myrtle beach area. Um, and then a couple of, you know, family trips, I took my gear. Um, so I have a few files from Gettysburg. Um, uh, there was a couple, I did a day trip down in Beaufort, South Carolina. So uh, there, there's a couple of things outside of Charleston. I just didn't want it to be all Charleston all the time. Uh, but of course, the locations that I take people on my tour, like they're definitely in there. Beaufort, South Carolina is... <laughs> I'm trying to think by memory. Is that where the reptilian creature was seen? Was that was that in Buford? You know what I'm not talking about? My, not to my knowledge. I don't know anything about it. I went down there specifically for the uh, old Sheldon Church ruins. Mm. But there's a famous story that happened, I want to say, late 90s. But there was a 16, 17-year-old kid that was driving his car, and this 
Uh, and this happened definitely in South Carolina. I just can't remember this, the city, but this lizard type creature, you know, you think dog man or Bigfoot, but this was like a giant lizard that jumped on his car and put some scratches on his car and a couple other people had seen him during that time. But it was a couple of week period where a bunch of people had, you know, tires punctured and, and big rips in the side of their metal that looked like they were from claws. And it's all from this cryptid that was uh, some type of a lizard man. So yeah, it's a pretty cool story if you haven't heard it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to dive into that. And of course, you have friends of other podcasts that cover a lot of cryptids. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll see if they've covered that already. They may have, and I just I just kind of maybe have missed it. But yeah, I, I usually go after uh, locations and, and obviously long history versus cryptids. Cryptids usually aren't my thing because that kind of adds into the whole scariness the, of, you know, that I'm trying to stay away from that stigma. <laughs> right. like, let's, let's have some fun, um, you know, and that's, Cryptids are cool. Don't get me wrong. It's just not what I study, unfortunately. So tell me about your books. Uh, how many books do you have out? Where can people get them? And what are the, what are the basis of the books? So I have seven titles, uh, three novels, and I have a novelette series. Those are just short little, like 50 to 65 page, um, you know, little novelettes. Uh, base of, of all my work so far has been fiction uh, based on the afterlife. So I have a, a small series that covers Greek mythology's underworld and kind of adds that into a fiction world. Um, my latest book, which I used my pen name of Nick Knight, is uh, called Byron. And that is about a little dappled dachshund um, that gives his owner the ability to astral project into the afterlife because he has suicidal tendencies and he has to learn that life lesson um, of not being able, like wanting to commit suicide. So he gets a piece of what he's been after his whole life to see the afterlife. Um, I'm working on a title right now um, to finish up my master's degree program where I take Atlantis and that is part of the afterlife as far as heaven, hell, purgatory, and then after Atlantis is the protection realm that protects all of the other realms from us finding out about the truth behind the afterlife. Um, so that'll be out later this year under my pen name, Nick Knight. Uh, and you can find all my books on Amazon. Um, but you can always go to, you know, my website, storiesinacemetery.com and, and read more about each of those titles. Fantastic. If I was to, you know, force you to tell me your favorite location in Charleston, do you have one? I think I have a favorite story more so than I do a favorite location. That's fair uh, enough. So one of my favorite stories, of course, being the writer that I am, uh, is wrapped around Edgar Allan Poe. So the story that I know of is that the poem of Annabelle Lee is, has some truth to it and is actually tied to Charleston. So Edgar Allan Poe was uh, serving in the army on Sullivan's Island under the name Edgar Perry. And he fell in love with a young lady, of course. And the father disapproved because he, he just didn't like Edgar for whatever reason. And while Edgar was away at whatever he was doing that the army sent him to, the young lady dies. Of course, we all know that from the Annabelle Lee poem. So what the father did was he buried two headstones unmarked in the same church so that Edgar could never find where she was truly buried, so he couldn't go visit her. And that church is the Unitarian Church in downtown Charleston. 
Um, and Mike will tell you, like, he goes by there and he actually has some folks that feel a little faint and dizzy whenever he takes some folks by there. Um, I've walked through there uh, with, with my wife before. It's a beautiful cemetery. And again, as far as cemeteries go, I usually tell my, my guests, because like, they always want to know how many cemeteries we're going to go to. And the funny thing is, is I don't usually find a whole lot of evidence in cemeteries, because if you were dead, are you going to hang out where you're buried? Probably not. You're going to go to places that you love. But we never know if why those people are feeling a little bit faint and dizzy on Mike's tours um, are because Edgar is the one walking around trying to find which headstone it might be. So I've seen all the empty headstones and, and I can't make heads or tails of them either. So the mystery is still there. I think that's probably my favorite story. You know, it's funny. We do our little uh, uh, episodes we call shorts, which are six, seven minute stories on our Patreon episodes. And we covered one last night that, that the Unitarian Cemetery actually fit right into. Yeah, it oh, was. Nice. Uh, and I don't remember the names, but the gist of it was this goes back to 1901, I think it was. But there was a gentleman who uh, he, they thought that he had maybe consumption but he was also a big time cigarette smoker and his okay. wife was trying to get him to quit. The doctors were trying to get him to quit. Uh, he like so many people back in the day was, well, if you can't prove to me, this is the problem. I'm not going to quit. Right. And she talked him into going to Baltimore to see some specialists at John Hopkins. And on his way there, for whatever reason, he was killed in an automobile accident. They kept the body for 30 days and buried the body there because they'd never heard anything back from his wife. Well, come to find out they had sent a letter uh, back home, but she on the same day died of a heart attack. Wow. And so she died at her home in Charleston. He was near Baltimore. He got buried there. She got buried in that church there in Charleston, the Unitarian church. And they'd say that she just like floats around that cemetery all the time because mm -hmm. she's basically looking for her husband and her double plot that he was never going to be buried in. And one of the stories was a gentleman that was, uh, they call her the lady in white there. And one of the stories was the, the gen this gentleman was walking through there. He had an antique shop that was behind the cemetery. And as he was walking through the cemetery, he was getting ready to uh, light up a cigarette and he saw the lady in white and he just starts following and following her. And then eventually she disappears. And when he looks mm -hmm. down, He's at a, uh, a grave plot from a friend of his that had passed away from smoking in bed and the bed caught on fire and he died in the fire. And he felt like that this was her way of saying, you need to quit smoking. And he said he threw the cigarette away. And that, had, that was 14 years earlier at the time he wrote this and said that wow. he had never smoked since then because he felt like she, I guess, has this affirmation about smoking. And, and she basically led him to that cemetery plot based on wow. that. So I thought it was a cool story. Yeah, that, that's a lot of, you know, not so much coincidental things. Like a lot of it wraps around smoking and heart attacks. Like that, those are like great clues to tie together. Like th that's the kind of stuff I live for. I don't think I've ever like dove into that particular story, but I'm definitely going to look at it now, especially because the Unitarian Church is one of the locations I want to add um, within the next six months or so. So that way I can, you know, versatize the, you know, the, the tour itself. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'll send you the, the the people's names. That'll help you research it a little bit and 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 get you going on that. Nick, it's been awesome, brother. I appreciate it. I know it took a while for us to get this thing set up. This is like <laughs> this is like our seventeenth attempt at actually making this happen. But uh, 
I think it's been fun. I can't wait to meet you down there. I hope you have continued success with the tours, with the books, uh, with the podcast, and hopefully we'll get you a bunch of new listeners on the podcast and and uh, yeah. get you some tours as they go down there. It's uh, It sounds like a blast. I know we can't wait. Uh, September can't get here quick enough for us, and, uh, and we're excited. Tell everybody one more time before we get off how they can find out everything about your tours, books, uh, what have you. Everything that I work on as far as ghost hunting can be found on storiesinthecemetery.com. And of course, that's the name of the tour. You can simply Google it, but going to the website is probably the best way. The podcast link, it's on everything, every uh, podcatcher you can think of. Uh, but all of those episodes are also posted on my website, storiesinthecemetery.com. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Yeah, man. This was really cool. Thanks. He is so much fun. I can't wait to do that tour. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going to be interesting for sure. All right. So real quick on the cruise, we're not going to uh, touch on this every single week, but I do think it's important to mention that we are over 130 people, which believe it or not, we were hoping to get 50 through the whole thing. And within the first three weeks, we've got 130 people signed up, over 56 cabins. And when we set this up, they only set 20 cabins aside for us. They figured mm-hmm. that's all we would need. Mm-hmm. And that was for the whole thing. <laughs> and we've almost tripled that in three weeks. You guys and, are awesome. And they're still coming in. So you guys are phenomenal. Thank you so much for, for everything you do. Absolutely. You guys rock. Yeah. So if you haven't signed up yet, eventually what's going to happen is we're going to run. And there's still a lot of the, the less expensive rooms left. Mm-hmm. The uh, the inside state rooms, the ones without the balconies, there's still a bunch of those left. But what's happened is we're running out of all the less expensive balconies. So we're not going to run out of rooms. No, no. But we'll run out of the ones that are less expensive. So the prices that we gave were already up to $10 more a person. I know that don't seem like a ton, but $10 more a person for the balcony rooms because we've sold all the cheap ones. And But some of these, as we go up, will get to be 40 and $50 a piece on the balcony rooms as we keep stepping up levels and levels. So if you haven't had a chance to do it yet... Go ahead and call Robin and um, go ahead and sign up and we'll get that out and you can get your room reserved at the cheapest rate. And Robin's actually going to come on the show. He is a huge paranormal fan. That's how a lot of this came to be. And he's going to come on and talk paranormal and then he's going to answer some questions maybe on the cruise and tell us some things that I haven't been able to tell you because he knows it backwards and forwards. But we'll talk a little bit with him about what to expect and and, uh, what what you can do and, and things like that on board. The ship and and on the uh, excursions that we go on so it'll be fun and uh, we'll get him on here in the next couple of weeks so he can tell you a little bit about it sounds amazing tracy what do we got as far as um itunes and all righty um we have lynn jen finn i love that is that three people or is that just one it's just one i believe oh, okay. <laughs> justin clowers b michener and mojo lobster thank you guys for your awesome reviews that meant a lot to us um, we hope you guys can keep them coming. Our Patreon this week was Miss Ruth Dempsey. Thank you, sweetheart, for um, supporting us. We appreciate you so much. And just love you guys for everything you do for us. Absolutely. Only thing I want to add in is don't forget we got live events at the end of this year. Oh, that's true. We've got, uh, obviously, St. Augustine. I'm going to mention that because we are down to 20 tickets left for the event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then with the night before, we're doing an investigation 
of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. It's a private investigation for just us. And I think there are nine tickets left for that. But if you go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, there are links to both of those. And I will remind people, if you want to get the group rate to stay at Beecher's Lodge, where we're having the event, these rooms are all on the beach and they're all great priced for what they are. You need to call them. Do not go to the website and book because they will not know that you're with us and you won't get the special rate. The website doesn't know there's a special rate. Mm -hmm. So you have to call them and talk to them in person, tell them you're there to see Hillbilly Horror Stories or History Goes Bump, and they'll know to give you the special price. And then, uh, obviously, the other shows are uh, St. Augustine. I told you about that one. And we've got Dallas, we've got Memphis, and we've got Galveston. And all those are still available. Uh, They are all starting. They're all at least a third, almost to a half Mm -hmm. sold. So go ahead and jump on our website. You can get information for every one of those shows. Yeah, it's be great. Be glad to see you guys. Yep, be excited. It's been uh, usually we start doing these in April, and we should be getting ready to do live shows right now, and we're not. <laughs> so it's it we miss it. We can't wait to get back in it. Yes. So all right, guys, we will talk to you later. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. You guys have a blessed week. <laughs>